Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit. Bullshit is rampant. And nowhere is it more rampant <laughs> than in the American media discussing the demise and oh. the life of uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, the 31st POTUS. Right. Finally died this week when his check to Satan bounced. Now, my <laughs> name is George. My name is Cameron Riley. Uh, how are you, Ray mm -hmm. Harris? I'm doing great. I'm excited to um, once again kind of peel back the bullshit uh, that is the uh, world in U.S. media. This show was made for days like today. Um, right. Well, you know, this show started after we did three hours dissecting the New York Times's obit on Fidel Castro. Right. Thought we we need to we need a show where we just talk about how much bullshit there is. So um, now, of course. Regardless of how we might have disagreed with his politics, it's important that we don't speak ill of the dead. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just fucking around. <laughs> of course we're going to speak ill of the dead because no one else will. You know, I've, I've heard people say, well, when someone dies, you should only say nice things about them. I don't remember the US media showing Fidel Castro or Hugo Chavez or Che Guevara that same kind of courtesy. Well, it's only dead American war criminals that yeah, we have to be nice white. about when they die. Well, uh, let me ask you, does does Australia, when someone dies in Australia, what is the, uh, does the Australian press do like the American, I mean, because I'm sure you've seen all these videos, there's like stirring music in the background and all these great photos and someone's getting on there lovingly, almost lamenting, narrating the highlights of, of Bush's um, life. I mean, it's, it's completely just sugarcoated. Yeah, Does no, Australia do that? No, no, we no. we don't we don't a we don't have celebrity politicians like uh, you do. We don't Camelot our politicians like <laughs> when point. our our politicians when they're in office, our prime ministers, right? Um, when they're in office, we basically consider them scum. They're just the <laughs> they're like the piece of crap on the top of the crap pile. <laughs> And then as soon as they're gone, we'd right. like wipe our boots <laughs> on, the, on the carpet to get that stink of the crap off and just deal with the next piece of crap at the top of the hill. We have no respect for our politicians here. So no, they don't get mythologized like your Mythologize. politicians do over there. Like, you know, even when they're alive, you see this footage of presidents giving speeches they're on the campaign trail or even after they're they're elected and they're going around and there's people live lining the streets and waving flags and you know balloons yeah. and wearing t-shirts oh my god if you did anything like that in this country people would have you fucking locked up like are you, what is wrong with you he's a politician i mean anyway we all know he's like yeah Let's. We got a lot to cover. This is going to be hours and hours long. Of I've 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 got to do this, uh, Bush. I mean, and 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 some of this could have gone into the Cold War show because George H. W. Bush was president, um, obviously, when Soviet Union was dismantled. Mm -hmm. um, technically, he's the last right. Cold War president of the United States. Ah. But uh, we're, that's so far in our fucking timeline. Yeah. We're not going to get to that till 20. We can't wait. Cam can't wait. Yeah. Cam can't wait. The oceans will have flooded the planet by the time we, <laughs> we get to George H.W. Bush and the Cold War show. Um, 
So we got it, but we got to do it because because it's just oh man, it's just driving me nuts. I even went and listened to the NPR politics podcast. I was cooking dinner uh, yeah. uh, last night, uh, pork belly, slice, slicing up the pork belly, putting it under the oh. grill, letting you know, just kind of getting it nice and golden. Yeah. Oh, yeah. there's some leftovers in the fridge, and I'm getting hungry. Um, listening to the NPR politics podcast, thinking, well, NPR is a lefty yeah. kind of... They'll tear them a new one. Yeah, well, they'll at least be Respect. balanced in it, right? right? I don't expect them to be full-on, uh, this guy Satan was Satan, but, you right. know, just at least balanced. I swear to God, they did not say a single negative thing about him. Not a single thing. Uh, I, I was absolutely... Flawed, absolutely flabbergasted. The whitewashing that goes on in the yeah. U.S. media uh, when somebody like this dies is astounding to me. Still, after all these years, I'm nearly fifty, Ray. I've been reading this stuff for thirty odd years, <clears throat> paying like, attention what? to it. I'm still like, right. how? How is screaming? How is <laughs> this possible? Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, and, you know, again, and I've brought this up on Facebook and Twitter and stuff over the last day or so, and people are saying, well, you know, it's not the right time when somebody dies. When is the right time? Mm. 30 years later when nobody remembers who they were? This who? is this is when they need to be, people need to be told the truth. When they're paying attention, oh, he died, right? Oh, I guess I'll read that obit. That's when you need to tell the, the, the story. So anyway, listen, what we're going to do is balance up the media. Now, I'm sure he was a lovely guy, uh, big sweetheart. And I'm not going to talk about any of that kind of stuff. Because, you know, the NPR politics podcast, you just go listen to that. They had their tongue so far up his ass they could taste spearmint. I mean, maybe he was a good guy. I'm not here to judge. What I'm here to do is to talk about some of the things you're not going to see mentioned in the mainstream media over the next week, including the fake left mainstream media. Yeah. Now, I don't know how much of this you know, Ray. Uh, mm -hmm. You're about to find out. Or, or, or knew before you read my notes this morning, but... It, 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 yeah. I, and I'm... I'm, I'm fuck. This story is so outrageous that I'm even <laughs> tempted, I'm reluctant to mention it because it's going to sound like the craziest right. fucking crazy conspiracy theories. Right. All I'm going to say is, listen, I fact-checked this stuff. You can go out and Google it yourself. Yeah. If there's anything I say in this and you go, what are you fucking crazy? I'm not getting this off of Infowars. I swear to God, <laughs> this is this is mainstream, boring, fact-checked. Just nobody talks about it because I don't know why, really. And, you know, some of this for me goes, is, is interesting. You know, uh, uh, as I've told you before, my interest in geopolitics started really when I was, um, I don't know, like 20, 19, 20, and, and I was living in Melbourne and I was hanging out with a bunch of sort of Lebanese guys my age um, in Melbourne and we'd sit around and, and they'd make Turkish coffee in a saucepan and a little hot plate in their garage. Um, 
what you know for every teaspoon of, of Turkish coffee they put in they put in five teaspoons of sugar so at the, at the end of it the, the spoon would stand straight up in this thing you know it was like so thick yellow babbling oh, yeah. it was fucking great I, I, I get sort of a half erection just thinking about how good this coffee was and we'd talk politics and I was completely naive had no idea now this sure. is during uh, well it was just after Gulf War 1 so that's 91 so I would have been 21 and um, 20 turning 2021 and um they were telling me then stuff that I didn't really understand for maybe another 15 years. They were like, yeah, it's all about the oil. Right. And they were saying, yeah, well, actually, the, the U.S. told Saddam it was okay to invade Kuwait. Um, the, mm-hmm. All of this stuff is, is bullshit that they're going on about in the media. And I was like, what? No, that doesn't sound right. Um, right. It, it wasn't until WikiLeaks released. Oh, fuck, the cables a few years ago. Anyway, we'll get to that. So before we can talk about George Herbert Walker Bush, we need to go back and talk about his daddy, Prescott Bush. Mm-hmm. Is this uh, going to be another Trump story where uh, he comes from wealth and his dad? Never mind. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's worse than Trump's story. <laughs> um, okay. You think the Trump story is bad. Where do you hear the Bush story? <laughs> now... I don't know how many people know about the Bush's family beginnings. Um, we've mentioned Prescott Bush briefly, I think, back at an early Cold War show because um, uh, he was partners with Avril Harriman. Um, right. He was, a, he was a director of an investment bank called Brown Brothers Harriman. It's a mm. major Wall Street firm still around today, I think. It's the oldest and largest private bank in the United States. Nice. Um, so Avril Harriman, one of FDR's closest advisors, ambassador to Moscow, was banging Churchill's mm-hmm. daughter-in-law, married <laughs> daughter-in-law during World War II, Randolph Churchill's <laughs> wife. Uh, <laughs> and I think she oh, was well. she was like best friends with Harriman's daughter. Yep. Right, yes. Randolph was off, to, off at war. Churchill's daughter, from memory, was staying in an apartment with... Harriman's daughter. Meanwhile, Harriman was fucking right. <laughs> Churchill's say hi to his daughter-in-law. Daughter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Say hi to her. Yeah. yeah. Slip it in. And he ended up marrying her like <laughs> 30 years later. Oh. And then. She's an honest woman. Yeah. Then Bill Clinton ended up making her the US ambassador to France or something in the 90s. Oh. Anyway, wow. that's another story. Another partner in Brown Brothers Harriman was George Herbert Walker. Mm-hmm. He was president of Harriman's banking business. Harriman's came from money too. Uh, I think his father owned the the, the Harriman oh, yes. railroading business, exactly. and then Harriman set up a bank out of that. So George Herbert Walker was the president of Harriman's banking business before they merged with Brown Brothers. Uh, he George Herbert Walker is the the uh, maternal grandfather of George H W Bush, the great grandfather of President George W Bush. Prescott okay. Bush married George Herbert Walker's daughter. Got it. Got it. Now, here's the thing: mm-hmm. in the twenties and thirties, while all these guys were on the board. Mm-hmm. Prescott Bush, George Herbert Walker, and Avril Harriman. Brown Brothers Harriman was involved in financing Adolf Hitler. Now I know what you're going to say. 
You're going to go, that's fucking crazy. Oh, no. Yeah, Rule yeah. 34. He in, or is that Rule 34? Is that the one that has porn in it? What's the rule with Nazis? <laughs> Whatever the rule is. Yeah. Right. Yes, look, I know I said Hitler and I said Nazis, but this is true. Yeah. Right. Kind of in a roundabout way they were financing Hitler, but they knew. They knew it. Um, so <clears throat> they were the bankers for a guy called Fritz Thyssen. Mm-hmm. Now, Fritz Thyssen was a, a, a coal and steel magnate in Germany who helped finance Hitler uh, in the 20s and the 30s. Um, now, I know that you've done some stuff on World War II, Ray. I believe you've got a podcast or something about yeah, World War II. occasionally. I hear rumors. I hear rumors. Yeah. yeah How yeah, much yeah, have yeah. you talked about Fritz Thyssen and Brown uh, Brothers Harriman on your World War II show? Not about Brown Brothers. A couple of things about Harry, um, about Harriman. Um, after the Great Depression, and, and, and don't take this too far, but he was a decent human being. He would literally walk around with 50 to 100 bucks in his pocket um a couple times a week and he who would you, hand it out to, you, to poor who, people who are you talking yeah. about here harryman harryman okay i'm just showing that he's he's a, he, he there was a part of him that was a really nice guy he would literally hand out cash to, to poor people on the street as he's walking around new york and dc anyways uh Theismann was a lot like krupp the largest german arms arms manufacturer that supported hitler and uh during the 20s and 30s uh pretty much gave him money got them elected put their uh, uh very um uh, impressive influence behind them, and they did a lot of deals with the American. And as everybody probably knows, uh, Germany during the 1930s was a economic dynamo, and the Americans, just like a lot of Europeans, took advantage of that, invested a lot. And even though when things started to change and get dark, they stayed with it because they were making a lot of money. And of course, that didn't change until 1938, 1939. But these people stayed in for the duration because they were making a lot of money. Yeah, well, I think, you know, Fritz Thyssen and um, the, the Bush and Walker families were involved well before the 30s. They, right. According to his own account, he wrote a book later on called I, I Paid Hitler, <laughs> which is one of the greatest titles of any books ever written, i got to say. Um, oh, fuck. I just got to pause for a second. I was up till 2 a.m. last night reading about Ted Bundy. Man, I went deep, deep into Ted Bundy last night because of my wife. My sure. wife's into true crime podcasts. Okay. And right. she, she mentioned a couple of things about Ted Bundy. And, of course, I, I knew the name. I knew he was a serial killer. Never read his story. Read his story. Holy fucking shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Anyway, that's just a by the by. Um, Fritz Dyson <laughs> was involved very early on. Um because he hated he hated Jews and he hated communists, um, sure. And 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 so he, he met Hitler, met Goering, um, and and he went, yeah, fucking you guys, you guys have got the right ideas. Um, and so he he financed them. Apparently, he was one of the guys that 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 um, helped them helped Hitler get uh, selected as chancellor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think he wrote a letter to Hindenburg and said, you got to make this oh, guy shit. chancellor. Um, wow. he, he, went, he went to the mattresses for Hitler to yeah. get him a job. According to the um, official version of events, uh, he had a falling out with Hitler and the Nazis when they started going after Catholics because he was a Catholic. He's like, listen, when you're going after the communists and the Jews, that was fine. But I draw the line <laughs> at the Catholics. 
right? He like ended he ended up um, going to Switzerland, getting ending up in Vichy, France. Got arrested, was put in a concentration camp, um, oh. su- survived, um, got all of his money back because uh, the wow. Nazis had taken taken it when he left the country. Um, got got paid a got charged a fine. Mm-hmm. After the war, for being a supporter of Nazis, for being Nazi light, fifteen um, percent of his assets or something, and then he ended up going to Argentina. You know, I always joke about these people are living in Argentina. He literally went to Argentina, <laughs> where all the Nazis went. He went to Argentina and died. Right Hitler died oh, there. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, anyway, so the point is, Fritz Thyssen was one of the main guys who financed the Nazis. And uh, his bankers Mm -hmm. uh, in the US were Prescott Bush and George Herbert Walker and Avril Harriman. Now, uh, they continued to be his bankers even after the US entered the war. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Now, uh, Fritz... um, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. Fritz, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, Fritz was profiting from the Nazis and the Holocaust, um, mm. and so therefore were his bankers who were making money on on financing. Uh, he, they were giving him money, and then he was giving the money to Hitler in return for you know, at one point um, using Jews as slaves in one of his, I think coal refineries um right in in on the border of poland sorry yeah what i, I was just going to add if you wanted to just a little bit of detail on that theisman and krupp uh paid the gestapo the ss uh four marks a day for every slave uh labor because they were making so much money and the ss started making so much money that they delayed the final solution to keep these people alive longer uh just so they can make extra money because this literally was even though the russians are coming in this was a cash cow for the bankers for the ss for the american investors uh for the german industrialists they you know they had had over a million slave laborers and everybody's making money and they literally kept them alive defying hitler's orders just because they were making so much money wow so just like Fred Koch, father mm-hmm. of the Koch brothers, who founded a company, Winkler Koch Engineering, that had a big oil refinery in Hamburg for the Nazis, uh, the, the Bushes uh, uh, made their family fortune. Now, they had money before this, don't get me wrong, but they made their big fortune by financing the Nazis and off oh, the back of the Holocaust. Now... Here's the thing about this. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of this wasn't known until about 15 years ago when a uh, oh. particularly enterprising journalist searched through the US, na- U.S. National Archives and right. found all of the documents and put it all together. I've read his report, <laughs> got it as a oh PDF. Uh, this right. is all, so again. People go, "Oh, this is crazy." No, this isn't. This is yeah. fucking. Trust me. Okay. Uh, this is yeah. this is backed up the wazoo. Uh, in fact. Uh, <laughs> Uh, there was a there was another bank that they set up that Prescott Bush set up called the Union Banking Corporation UBC. It was specifically mm. set up to be Thyssen's uh, banking operation in the U.S. Um, its assets were seized in 1942 by the United States government under the Trading with the Enemy Act. Yeah, 
because uh, <laughs> they were still they were still doing it. They were still financing yeah. this guy who was financing the Nazis after the US had entered the war. Um, and it was run by Prescott Bush, George Herbert Walker's Bush's daddy. Um, now, yeah. So the Bush family uh, was stayed on the corporate boards of basically Nazi front groups, even though this is well into the war. They knew without a shadow of a doubt that Thyssen was helping the Nazis. They didn't care about this because it's all about the money. I'm not saying that the Bushes love the Nazis. No, no. It's just that they loved money and they were More prepared to finance Hitler in right. order to, to make money. So if Hitler had won, they would have made even more money. Oh, would have been great. In fact, what they did with UBC, I read, is they, they had um, <laughs> they had accounts set up in a whole bunch of different countries for themselves and Fritz. So uh, uh, whoever won the war, they were able to transfer their assets from one ah. geography to another geography just to make nice. sure that um, they were gonna they were gonna profit out of this regardless of who won the war. I just have to add real quick, I mean, and, and I know you're going to make this point, but uh, these aren't the only Americans doing this. These aren't the only banks, the only American financiers that are doing this. Uh, um, IBM worked with the SS coming up with uh, computer programs to try to help be able to locate Jews uh, throughout Germany. So a lot of people did it, but you're absolutely right. Once Pearl Harbor comes, what is your excuse after that? Oh, I'm making so much money, I, I didn't dare stop. I mean, once the... Once the uh, once it's clear which side you're on and what the Nazis are up to, there's no excuse after that. But like you said, they and many others continued on. Well, the reason we're talking about the Bushes, of course, is because we're doing a show about the Bushes. Yeah, right. there's a lot no. of people who did this. But yeah. it gets back to something I've said a million times on our shows over the year. Wars are about money. Yeah, It's always about money. So anyway... Um, uh, la la la. Yes, UBC. I mentioned so um, the Union Banking Corporation, based in New York. Um, it was exclusively a bank that was for Fritz Thyssen. Uh, it was owned by one of his banks in the Netherlands. Now, but it was run by Prescott Bush uh, for him right. in the US, um, and George Herbert Walker, um, Prescott's uh, father-in-law. Now. Right. Thyssen had a company called Consolidated Silesian Steel Company, CSSC, that was based on the uh, German-Polish border in Silesia. And this is the right. company that was using Nazi slave labor from concentration camps, including Auschwitz. So um, they're making money out of that. Now, um, they managed to ship millions of dollars of gold, fuel, steel, coal, and U.S. Treasury bonds to Hitler. Basically, his um, paying for his war machine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The ramp up. So the Bush family made real, real money off the backs of the Nazis and the Holocaust. Now, as I said, UBC got taken away in 1942 by the U.S. government, um, but Prescott mm-hmm. Bush got it back in 1951. <laughs> After the war was over, they were like, oh, sure, you can have your hey, bank, mate. bank. Yeah. Um, he and um, George Herbert Walker owned a share each. Those shares were worth $1.5 million each in 1951 dollars when they <sighs> sold out. Damn. So, back to George H.W. Bush and his legacy. Now, um, he became independently rich uh, through oil companies that he started. Right. 
when he, when he was a young man, um, after you know he had a stint in World War Two, a lot of media mm-hmm. coverage about that. Um, instead of going into the family Nazi banking business, he decided <laughs> to go into the oil business. Um, right. So through friends from Yale and his daddy and grand granddaddy's connections, he, he sort of got a traineeship in various oil companies. Then he decided uh-huh. to break out on his own. And like Donald mm-hmm. Trump, he did it all off the <laughs> just with the sweat of his brow and hard work. Oh, and and <laughs> money that came from the Nazis. <laughs> I, I was watching um, um, a bio of Bush. Uh, I think it was Wolf Blitz. And they're like, and he started, and literally this was the sentence, and he started his own little oil company in Texas trying to be Mr. Independent, something like that. I'm like, you know, and you look at the oil company, it wasn't that small and it was well-funded and he had a lot of um, good advice and professionals around him. So yeah, again, just this whole idea that he started semi-humbly with his own little oil company, just complete. Bullshit, but again, it fits the American dream of rags to riches. Yeah, so he started the first, it was the Bush Overbay Oil Development Company and later Zapata Petroleum Corporation. Both were funded by Prescott Bush and George Herbert Walker using their Nazi Holocaust fund. <laughs> right. He also, I think for Zapata, raised money from Eugene Meyer, the publisher of the Washington Post, and his son-in-law, Philip Graham, who, of course, ended up running the Washington Post for decades, um, and then his wife, Catherine Graham, took over. So um, that's how deep the Bush family was in it with the Washington Post. Right joint interests in oil companies that Blue they bloods. financed yeah. together. Elites. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> now, um, strange thing about Zapata's uh, history, his mm-hmm. uh, second petroleum company, they're filing records with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission for 1960 to 1966 were accidentally shredded around <laughs> about the time Bush became vice president. Oops. Sorry, am I fired? No, you're not fired. You're promoted for shredding those records. Get on ya. That's yeah. Insane. Somebody accidentally... Oh, yeah, I slipped oh. and they fell into the shredder. <laughs> Are you okay? Forget mm. the records. Are you okay? Mm. Yeah. Bullshit. Uh, in 1966, Bush sold his interest in Zapata for a million dollars. This is a lot of money in 1966. Yes. Jeez. Now, in the early 70s, Bush was chairman of the Republican National Committee, the GOP. This is during the Nixon-Watergate years. Nixon actually asked him to take on the job. And he continued to defend Nixon all the way until the cat was completely out of the bag and there was just no defending him anymore. But uh, at the height of Nixon's criminality, George Herbert Walker Bush was backing him 100%. Well, I wanted to ask you about this real quick, because when I was watching, you know, probably like you, I watched a whole bunch of news reels and YouTube, stuff like that. Um, by being in charge of the Republican Party in general and not being in the White House and not being in the Congress, Bush was semi, semi to the side, kind of like, I'm over here. Yes, Nixon did this thing. And now we all know it's horrible, but I wasn't in it. In some ways, Bush, to me, is saved by being in that particular position, the chairman of the GOP, because he's not directly involved. So if it wasn't for that, he might have gone down. But again, just it seemed to me that it was very fortuitous that he had that position. 
Yeah. But again, you don't hear that mentioned in the obits. He was no. a great supporter of Richard Nixon during the Watergate years. George Herbert until, Walker books. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. this is also the period, of course, when Nixon was bombing the fuck out of the Vietnamese and the Laotians <laughs> after yeah. he had deliberately sabotaged LBJ's peace initiative in 1968. I don't know how many people know this, but there was peace negotiations going on between Johnson and Ho Chi Minh. Um, well, uh, uh, I think Ho, Ho died 67, 69, 69 he died, so he was still alive then. Anyway, with, with the Viet Minh, um, and uh, uh, Nixon sabotaged it deliberately because he, he thought um, he had a better chance of, uh, uh, of winning the presidency if uh, right. they were, the Vietnam War was still going. He, he used that to his benefit because he was tough, tough on right. crime. Can't remember who he was going up against in the late 60s um, after Kennedy died. Who was he going up against? Mm -hmm. um, I honestly don't know. Yeah, can't remember the guy's name. But anyway, good for him. Yeah. yeah, so he deliberately was bombing the fuck out of the Vietnamese and uh, Bush supported that. And now let's talk about his time as the director of the CIA. So mm -hmm. I don't know how much people know about the CIA, but in the mid-70s, uh, December 1974, the New York Times uh, released a, a report on how corrupt the CIA was. Um, right. And it was written by investigative journalist Seymour Hirsch. You've heard me talk about yes. Cy Hirsch millions yes. of times. Cy blew the bag on how corrupt the CIA was. Um, it was around what's known as the family jewels. It was a list mm -hmm. that was compiled by the director of the CIA, James Schlesinger, that sort of talked about all of the illegal activities the CIA had been involved in, assassination attempts, domestic spying wow. that they weren't supposed to be involved in, um, you name it. And right. this list got into the hands of Hirsch. Somebody leaked it to him. New York Times ran it, and there was outrage. Outrage. I'm shocked. Shocked, shocked right, <laughs> that there is spying going on in this establishment. Uh, everything from domestic wiretapping to oh. trying to assassinate Fidel Castro. So then there was this thing called the Church Committee, the United States Senate Select Committee to Study Governmental Operations with Respect to Intelligent Activities, um, wow. U.S. Senate. Committee chaired by Frank Church from Senator from Idaho, 1975. So they were investigating abuses by the CIA, the NSA, the FBI, and the IRS. Now um, they refer the Church Committee in its report referred to the CIA as a rogue elephant, claiming it was unsupervised and designed to tell the president what he wanted to hear. And Bush, for some reason, was sworn in as the next director to take over in January of 1976. He was supposed to clean it up. Now, right. he had zero background in intelligence, wasn't a former <laughs> general, you know, wasn't a former attorney general, right. didn't have a background in law. His, his degree is in economics. Economics, so. and he's an oil man. Right. Um, okay. why, what's that got to do with the CIA? And he, I think he, he was a congressman uh, before that. House of yeah. But he came from a powerful family, was the point. Uh, uh, but instead of cleaning it up, he supported Operation Condor. Again, this doesn't sound good. 
well, it's a cool name. I got to admit. Um, in fact, there was a movie in the in the late seventies, early eighties called Condor Man, that right. um, which starred Frank Spencer, whatever that Michael, whatever his name is. Um, some others do have him, and uh, he had to be around then. Anyway, it's a bad superhero movie. Operation Condor. I'm not sure how many people have heard of this, but it was a United States backed campaign of. Political repression and state terror in the southern cone of South America. It was basically the idea of Augusta Pinochet in Chile, US-supported right-wing dictator. Basically, it involved the assassination of leftist activists um, in South America by a series of right-wing US-backed governments and militaries. Um, that they wanted to wipe out anyone who who was you know uh, involved in a political movement that to to try and overthrow right wing dictatorships uh, and overthrow the sort of neoliberal economic policies of those dictatorships. Estimates vary on how many people were killed. Um, one estimate is around sixty thousand people were killed in South America as a result of Operation oh Condor. God. Dissidents, right. leftists, union leaders, priests, nuns, students, teachers, intellectuals, suspected guerrillas. And, and let this, me, yeah. yeah, sorry, go ahead. I just, just real quick, so theoretically the White House does not know about this? Is this a rogue? Um, no, 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 the White okay. House knows about it, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. I right. mean, this, this would have been during Ford's administration, um right. and, and uh, yeah, like Bush uh, was running the CIA, so <laughs> this, he's supposed to be cleaning it up. Mm. And if you go to the CIA's website today, you'll see them talking about, oh, he saved the CIA. It was at dark times. They call it the troubled times, and right. uh, he cleaned it up and made us into the stellar organization <laughs> that we are today. Yeah, he was basically supporting. He was supporting right. death squads in South America, but Damn. you know, I'm sorry. So you Isn't won't get any. You won't get any mention of that in uh, your, no. your, your mainstream media obits. Sixty thousand dead uh, activists, priests, and nuns, and there's some stories about that that you can go out and read. Um, Nightmares. Fully supported it. Then yeah. he he became Veep. Uh. Um, now, when he was Veep under Reagan, uh, the two of them supported Saddam's invasion of Iran. Again, right. we, we've talked about this briefly in other shows, but for people who haven't heard uh, us before talk about this, um, in 1953, the CIA overthrew the democratically elected president of Iran, a guy called Mossadegh. Uh, mm-hmm. Iran in the, in the early 50s had a... Very westernized, yeah. liberal sort of a country. Open, right? Um, they had a, they had a this old dude. He was like in his late seventies, I think, Mossadegh, who was um, democratically elected as president. He was fairly secular. It was a fairly secular country. Um, but the British uh, had done a deal with the the, the Shah uh, to control all of the oil coming out of Iran, major oil producer, mm-hmm. and the Iranians were getting nothing, like three cents on the dollar or something of the oil. Jeez. And um, Mossadegh was trying to negotiate 
better rates on the oil with the British. British basically yeah, five told him, cents. Basically yeah. told him to go fuck himself. Americans right. had just done a do- deal to get oil out of the Saudis in Iraq at the time, and I think they were those countries were getting like fifty cents on the dollar. Mossadegh tried to renegotiate the British. British told him to go fuck himself. So he said he was going to nationalize the oil because the people oh, were, the people were starving in Iran. Yeah. And he, he wanted to get him some money. And, and the way the British ran these oil uh, uh, refineries was, was, it was like indentured slavery. The conditions were terrible. Um, and they weren't doing anything about it to clean it up. So he said he was going to nationalise it. So the, so the UK, Churchill was prime minister at the time, um, went to the US and, and said, help us overthrow this guy. And the CIA agreed to do it. Uh, under a guy called Kermit Roosevelt, who was a uh, descendant of um, Teddy Roosevelt. Um, so they they overthrew Mossadegh. Um, long story, won't go into it right now, but uh, and they repl- they re- basically replaced him with a dictatorship under the son of the Shah. Um, mm-hmm. And he ran a brutal police state in Iran for the next uh, 25, 26 years. Um, When he was finally overthrown during the revolution and the Ayatollah Khomeini created a theocracy and that's when there was American hostages and you all Mm -hmm. know that story. Um, And they took control of the oil, obviously, then as well. So the US was pissed off that their uh, dictator had been kicked out by his own people. And so they they supported Saddam Hussein's invasion of Iran. They said, man, uh, get in there and kill them Iranians. Now, um, estimates are something like 100,000 Iranian civilians died, many of those from nerve gas that Saddam bought from the United States and used with their full knowledge. Um, sold to him by Reagan, George Herbert Walker Bush, and uh, Donald Rumsfeld. This is photos of Rumsfeld shaking Saddam's hand uh, when they were doing the deal with the big shitty grin on his face. Um, so that's on his watch, George H.W. Bush, um, 100,000 Iranian civilians. Then during his VEEP, there was the Iran-Contra affair. Mm-hmm. I know you want to tell this story. I'm 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 running out yeah. of breath. Yeah. So, uh, like you said, George Bush is uh, the vice president at this time, and senior administration officials officials uh, secretly facilitated the arms sales to Iran, which obviously was against uh, an embargo. And what the administration was hoping to do, Reagan and Bush, was to use the money from that sales to fund extreme right wing terrorists in Nicaragua, known as the Contras, and to negotiate the release of several U.S. hostages that Cam mentioned earlier. So supporting the uh, Contras had been prohibited by Congress, but I guess Reagan and uh, Bush had decided their moral authority exceeded that, so they were just going to do it anyway. And of course, when it all comes out, and all there's these... uh, these uh, hearings, which I remember very much, Reagan claims not to have known anything about it, uh, probably telling the lie. I think he was playing the card, oh, I'm getting old now and I don't really remember that kind of stuff. At least that's that's my impression of when I was watching the hearings. Also, uh, during his election uh, campaign in 1988, Vice President Bush denied any knowledge of it, saying, look, I was out of the loop on that one. I didn't know anything. And so, again, he dodges the bullet. And for whatever reason, he is believed or no one really pushes it and he's able to uh, go on and win the election. Um, 
But of course, everybody like these kind of people uh, kept diaries. And I think uh, Bush's diaries included that he was one of the few people that knew fully the details. But special uh, counsel Lawrence Welch, Welch, excuse me, a former deputy attorney general in the Eisenhower administration in his final report on the Iran-Contra affair in August of 1993, said that Bush had been should have been investigated harder. So again, Reagan denies it. Bush denies it. No one really pushes him on it for whatever reason. And I don't know if you remember, Cam, but I think people were just kind of not sure how to deal with this. It, it was just this very big deal. But by this time, Reagan is so beloved in general by the country. I don't think anybody wanted to come down on him and there and by, by extension Bush as well. Yeah. Remember, um, that's my impression. Well, yeah, I remember it from obviously a distance. I was over here, sure. but I remember the thing was very shocking when it came out that the U S had been secretly and illegally, even according yeah. to U S law, let alone Our international own, right. law, um, funding right-wing terrorists um, uh, and selling up. So on one hand, they're supporting Saddam to invade Iran, but secretly yeah. they're sending weapons to Iran to fight Saddam, which was one of the major turning points in their relationship with Saddam, which I'll talk about in a minute. When that came out, he obviously wasn't very happy. Um, you tell me to go and attack these guys, then you give them weapons to attack my guys. What right. the fuck is up with that? Um, that special counsel, Lauren, Lawrence Walsh, you mentioned, who did the report on the Iran-Contra affair, wrote that Bush, he believed, was fully aware of the Iran arms sale and that Bush's diary contained contemporaneous notes relevant to the Iran-Contra, but that Bush <laughs> refused to hand it over to the investigators and refused to, be, refused to be interviewed. Well, apparently when you're a Bush, you can't. And when you're a vice president, you can. Now, there was also a book about this published in 2008 by an Israeli journalist, Ronan Bergman. He said that Bush was also personally briefed on the affair by a guy called Amaram Nia, who was a Mm. counterterrorism advisor to the Israeli prime minister at the time. Bush had been visiting Israel um, and this guy had had um, told Bush about what was going on with the arms sales to Iran. Um, right. Now he could have incriminated Bush, uh, right? Near this is the journalist, except he was unfortunately killed in a mysterious chartered airplane crash in Mexico during Bush's election. Timing eighty-eight, yeah. Yeah. Now, everyone indicted or convicted in the Iran-Contra affair were, was pardoned in the final days of George oh. Herbert Walker Bush's presidency, including, yeah. including former Defence Secretary Caspar Weinberger. Uh, on the eve of his trial for perjury and obstruction of justice. Oh, talk about timing. Now, wow. uh, somebody, I can't remember who, but somebody said that the pardon of Weinberger marked the first time a president ever pardoned someone in whose trial he might have been called as a witness because the president <laughs> was knowledgeable of factual events underlying the case. That sounds familiar. Doesn't it? Where? Though? Yeah. And you think, mm. and people think Trump's the first one who uh, yeah. is getting involved in obstruction of justice of, of cases that he might get involved in. But of course... You're not going to see any mention of this in your media. 
Not now. And then, yeah. of course, in 1981, um, John <coughs> Hinckley Jr. tried to assassinate Ronald Reagan. And I've talked about right. this on our shows at some point. I can't remember briefly. Mm-hmm. But this is a story that I've been fascinated with for many, many years. So uh, people who are too young to know, Reagan, relatively newly elected as president, um, vice president is George Herbert Walker Bush. This young guy, John Hinckley Jr., takes a shot at Reagan, uh, misses him, hits another guy, uh, Brady, governor of Calif- California, I'm trying to remember. Where was I, it, do you know where Brady was governor? I thought, I thought he was on Reagan's staff. Might have been I on really his can't... staff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it might have been. Chief of staff, something. Anyway, Reagan, Reagan gets pushed into the car by the Secret Service, breaks a rib, punctures a lung, has to go to hospital, but he's okay. Right. Um, now, uh, of course, if Hinckley had succeeded in assassinating Reagan, who would have become president? Bush. George Herbert Walker Bush. Okay. Vice right. president becomes president. Yeah. Who, was a, who was a close friend of the Bush family? John Hinckley Jr.'s father, John Hinckley <laughs> Sr. They were old friends. Hinckley, oh they, they, were, they were Dallas uh, elite, known each other for decades. John Hinckley Sr., who ended up running World Vision and I think an oil company and a number of different businesses. Um, he had donated to George's election campaigns over the years. Um, they were social friends. They would socialize right. together. He had even funded or, or, or supported um, George W. Bush's failed 1978 run for Congress. And then get this, mm-hmm. Neil Bush, George W.'s brother, George Herbert Walker's son, right. was supposed to have dinner with John Hinckley Jr.'s brother, Scott, the day after the shooting. That's how close wow. these families were. He had a dinner date arranged with this guy for the okay. next day. Now, this doesn't get talked about in the US media very much at all. You have to go digging for this. You can't find You go back to the newspaper yeah. archives from uh, 81. You can see mentions of this, but it all got sort of pushed under the rug. The, the, the fuck, the, 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 the guy who tried to kill the president... Right. Which would have made George Herbert Walker Bush president was friends with the Bush family. Like. <laughs> look, let, let me try something here. Let's say you and I, and this is probably going to happen. You and I go on to be podcast titans. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of listeners. And then one day, Sophie, let's be honest, it's going to be Sophie. Sophie tries to kill you. Is, am I go- doing this analogy right? No. Is that no, so? No. 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 Oh, okay. It'd have well, to she's be probably a, gonna try anyway. It'd be it'd have to be a friend of yours. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. I have, I have a couple of friends that would probably yeah. take a swing at you. Okay. <laughs> but but that's that's insane. That is abs- I mean, that's got to make the next Christmas party awkward. It really does. <laughs> and then there's this on top of that. So the very right. day that Reagan was shot, the Department of Energy had notified the Hinckley family. Hmm. That Vanderbilt Oil, the company the father was running, um, was going to be forced to pay a penalty of $2 million. 
ah. for something uh, they'd been doing. Um, but then after Hinckley shot Reagan, the penalty never happened. Are you serious? That, yeah. Why would that not go forward? I mean, that should be completely irrelevant of the president's physical condition. Don't know. But whatever. Yeah. Could look this these things could be a coincidence, right? Sure. But but yeah. He, yeah. When 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 they start lining up like this, come on. When a son of one of your major supporters tries to kill your political rival because that's <laughs> You remember, right. Bush yeah, ran against ugly. Reagan in oh, the it, primaries, it and it was ugly. Yeah, it was. And then, you know, Google Reagan, that's it. Yeah, Bush yeah. was was criticizing Reagan's uh, trickle-down economics ideas right. as voodoo economics. They hated each other. Um, yeah. And if you could have got Reagan out of the way, Bush would have become... <sighs> and guess where Bush was on November... <laughs> November twenty third, nineteen November twenty second, nineteen sixty three. Where? In Dallas, Texas, the day Kennedy was shot. Oh, he and there yeah. are stories. Uh, uh, I haven't verified this bit. Okay, so this bit isn't verified, but there are. There is there is a story that Bush was involved with the CIA for decades before he became the director of the CIA. One piece of evidence I did see to back mm-hmm. that up is an FBI report to J. Edgar Hoover the day after Kennedy's assassination. So November 23rd, 1963. It talks about people that they had interviewed who were in Dallas on the day. It mentions George Bush, and it Mm. says George Bush of the Central Intelligence Agency was there at the time. Right. That's now, a hell of a typo if it is. Exactly. Yeah. Hell of a typo for the FBI to make when they're talking about the Kennedy assassination <laughs> to J. Edgar Hoover. Oh, my God. Now, why would they say that he was of the CIA? I don't know. But, you know, we, we know that that's how the CIA operates. They have a lot yeah. of people that are, you know, undercover, top right. secret, cutouts, whatever yeah. they call them. I don't know. Sure, deep agents or whatever it's called. Yeah. And again, I know this sounds crazy, but look it up. I know I'm starting to right. sound like fucking what's his face off Infowars. <laughs> <laughs> what's his Alex, name? Alex Jones. Oh my god! Like this shit. Like I hate Alex Jones. I hate crazy right. conspiracy theories, yeah. but this stuff is so crazy. This is where you're supposed to yell, you will not defeat God. You will not <laughs> defeat the truth. Who said God was on your side, buddy? But whatever. I enjoyed God, that. God did. Much. He told him. Now, <laughs> hey, I posted a, I posted a fict- picture of me and Jesus hanging out on Facebook the other day I man, saw from that. my film. It's pretty Love cool, that. right? Yeah. Love that, yeah. Now, um, the Hinckley assassination attempt. Um, who, who was in charge of the investigation of the shooting, Ray? I... Don't know. Well, listen. If I, you know, oh, if, if, former CIA head, right? If if I was going to put somebody in charge of an investigation <clears throat> of an attempted assassination attempt on me, right? it would be a family friend of the guy who tried to do it. Absolutely, absolutely. Whose family put had me- been one of my major financial supporters for many decades. <laughs> That's who I would put in charge. George Herbert Walker Bush was put in charge of the Hinckley assassination attempt, which chalked it all up to Hinckley's demons and the whole Jodie Foster wannabe famous bullshit story. 
no, no, you know, doesn't get talked about in any of this. Um, then a few years later, Neil Bush, son, is involved in the in a huge um, savings and loan collapse. Um, mm-hmm. Still, this whole Bush Hinckley uh, connection doesn't get brought up. By the way, and here's the addendum mm-hmm. to this story: two years ago, John Hinckley Jr. was released from the mental hospital he'd been in for 33 years. To go to a proper jail? No, released. Go, no. You, you, you're cured. Go home now. Right. It's all good. Um, <laughs> the hospital where he had been mm-hmm. was uh, called uh, St. Elizabeth's. Right. Um, now, St. Elizabeth's, I believe was uh, one of the hospitals that was involved in Project MKUltra. Mm. Now, for people who don't know MKUltra, and again, I know this is Alex Jones shit. This is like a fucking Dan Brown book. This shit's getting deep. MKUltra was a CIA mind control program, and I'm not even fucking kidding. This is like (laughs) official history. It was... was, uh, a program that the CIA ran um, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Technically, they ended it in the 70s. It was basically designed to turn people into assassins. Um, uh, is this like the Manchurian candidate yeah, thing? Yeah, it is the Manchurian candidate thing. Yeah, that's exactly okay. what it is. This is All a real right. thing. Again, fucking look it up if you think I'm crazy. It's a real thing. We have docu- I- we have CIA right. documents that have been declassified that talk about this. This is a real thing. <laughs> Came out in the church committee. Um, this is a real thing. They were turning people into assassins or trying to. Anyway, Bye. so this is where John Hinckley Jr. ends up after he gets, you know, charged right. with this assassination attempt. Uh, he gets released two years ago, uh, has to live right. with his mother... That's punishment. Uh-huh. And, until two weeks ago. Two weeks. Two weeks ago, he was. From today. Yeah. Or whatever. Two, yeah. Oh um, middle of November, he okay. was finally uh, allowed to leave his mother's house um, on his own recognizance, whatever the fuck What's that he means. What's going to do? Yeah. Just a coincidence that Poppy Bush died? Bush died. I don't know. <laughs> All right, I'm fucking around there, but it is it is it is a funny coincidence, man, that he was, right. uh, you know, oh. allowed to leave. Uh, he gets out just when when Bush dies. Now, um, uh-huh. Jesus Christ! Yeah, look, I know we're an hour into this, folks, but we're going to keep going because I got more stories to tell. Right. Then Bush becomes president, and in 1991, famously uh, went to war with Iraq, the Gulf War One, uh, right. Operation Fucking Thunder. What was it? Operation Thunder Penis. No, I don't remember. Oh, that was a movie we made. Sorry, I'm getting my <laughs> files mixed. Up. Operation Thunderdome. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't. Remember. <laughs> uh, Desert Storm. Desert, Desert Storm. Storm. Okay. Yeah. Right. Operation I, I like, Desert I like Storm. 
No, no like thunders. That was before we got into the thunders. It was just it was a <laughs> storm before the thunder. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. The thunder comes before the storm. Absolutely. They're going backwards. Oh, Next, it'll be Stan and Barry got it. Oper- operation, some dark clouds on the horizon. I don't know what. Anyway, Operation Desert Storm. Now, <laughs> for those people who live through it, um, you probably uh, have this uh, perspective on it, which I'm about to shatter. If you haven't paid attention, <laughs> why not? You shattered everything else tonight. Go ahead. Hmm. Um, so 13 years before his son lied about weapons of mass destruction to justify his invasion of Iraq, George H.W. Bush lied, told a whole bunch of fucking lies to justify um, his attack on Iraq in 1991. The first Gulf War was sold on a mountain of war propaganda. Ooh. Now, for a start, Bush told the American public that Iraq had invaded Kuwait, quote, without provocation or warning. Right. Now, what he failed to mention was that a week before the invasion, the the U.S. ambassador, the new U.S. ambassador to Iraq, April Glaspie, had basically given Saddam a green light. Oh, God. She had a meeting with him in July of 1990, where she said, we have no opinion on Arab-Arab conflicts like your border disagreement with Kuwait. That's diplomatic speak for, go ahead, whatever, we yeah, don't care. we have no opinion okay. on it. Right. Now, the background of this is on July 25th, 1990, Saddam Hussein had summoned Glaspie to talk about his brewing dispute with Kuwait. Mm-hmm. Now, the background of this is complicated and it's long, but basically um, Iraq had spent a shit ton of money on the Iran war. It had gone broke. Right. Um, ah. And oil prices, Iraq's you know one of the world's major producers of oil. It funds its economy. Oil prices were in a slump, um, mm-hmm. which was uh, uh, killing Saddam's economy. People were, people were literally starving in the streets. Um, and uh, uh, Kuwait was a big part of that. Um, the Kuwaitis, also producing a lot of oil, were uh, driving their oil price down. They were overproducing. You know, OPEC has mandatory right. production limits. They were overproducing beyond that. They were keeping the price down. They were deliberately doing it, Saddam believed, to hurt his economy. And he had been in discussions with them, negotiations with them. The Saudis were involved. Mubarak in Egypt was involved. The UAE were Mm. involved. He was trying to get them to pull their heads in and stop uh, uh, tanking the oil price on the market. Right. On top of that, they were also drilling Iraqi oil. They had, they were, they developed a system where they would stick in a pipeline at an angle near the oh. border, and it would go across the border into Iraq right. and tap into Iraq's oil wells. Saddam had been telling him to cut it out, cut it out. They were giving him the big finger, um, <laughs> and he told all of this to the U.S. The U.S. knew, knew all of this. Um, and basically, Glaspie told him in diplomatic speak, as you said, we won't do anything if you invade. We have no opinion on Arab-Arab conflicts. Right. How do we know that? Did she have a diary that we found later or that was, that was made public? Or hmm, Yeah, a diary called WikiLeaks, which <laughs> released 
a cable that she wrote back to Washington after this meeting in uh, oh 1990. WikiLeaks released it as part of their big cable dump in 2011. Right. Now, according to her cable, um, she said that President George H.W. Bush had instructed her to broaden and deepen our relationship with Iraq. Saddam offered warm greetings back to Bush, said they wanted to be friends. They didn't want any trouble. He also talked about, I've read the cable, he also talks about, um, you know, how their relationship, the Iraq's relationship with the U.S. had been difficult for some time, partly after the whole Iran-gate thing came out. He was like, fuck you guys, you know, you told us to invade Iran and then you fucking arm the Iranians to fight us? Like, what the fuck? Which is, right. got to say, classic imperialist um, yeah. uh, uh, MO, right? Like, get all of these people to fight each other and, um, you yeah. know, that saves you doing it. It's, so that's it's all good. Right back to the Romans. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, so he look. He talks in this cable about look. We've had a lot of problems, but he said he had a good feeling about Bush. He liked Bush. He said that there were elements of the U.S. basically the deep state. He doesn't use those words, but elements in Washington and the media that were basically sounding um, the war bells around Iraq. That there was a lot of anti-Iraq rhetoric going on. Right. This is before he does anything with Kuwait, right? So he could see it coming. And he said, listen, we don't want any trouble. We love America. We want to be friends. But you need to help us here with this Kuwaiti thing. But then she yeah. said, we, ha- we have no opinion on it. So um, so then he invaded and the U.S. went, oh, fucking what? We didn't see that coming. Now, Kuwaiti freedom. Yeah. On top of that, there was the fabrication of intelligence in the lead up to the war. Now, Bush deployed U.S. troops to the Gulf in August of 1990, and he claimed that he did it to assist the Saudi Arabian government in defense of its homeland. This whole idea that Saddam was Hitler and he was going to take over the world. Complete and utter bullshit. No evidence to support that. He was trying to stop the Kuwaitis from mining his oil, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There was a report in 2002 in the Christian Science Monitor that said, citing top-secret satellite images, Pentagon officials estimated that up to 250,000 Iraqi troops and 1,500 tanks stood on the border of Saudi Arabia, this is, threatening the key U.S. oil supplier. Oh, they're top-secret, so I can't see them. Yeah, and the U.S. media ran with that, as they always do. Oh, so it's totally justified. We had to do it to stop... Stop him invading the Saudis. But then a reporter called Jean Heller from the St. Petersburg Times acquired her own commercial satellite images of the Saudi border on the same date and found there was nothing. Completely empty desert. Tell me she didn't die mysteriously. (laughs) Good question. (laughs) I don't know. I didn't didn't look that up. What happened to her? Yeah, mysteriously shot herself in the back of the head twice. (laughs) No, she's time. happy yeah. to happy to advise that she's still Good. alive. Um, Good. Yeah. Good. Mm, mm. Okay. Um, so where was I? Oh, fuck. I just lost my pace. Hello. Yeah. Hold on. Every time yeah. I tab away and tab back, I lost oh, my pace. Yeah. Sorry. So she said um, it was a pretty serious fib. That Iraqi buildup was the whole justification for Bush sending troops in there and it just didn't exist. Wow. So there was a Congressional Human Rights Caucus in October of 1990, 
where mm-hmm. a young woman who only gave her first name, Nayira, testified that she'd been a volunteer at Kuwait's al Hospital, and she'd seen Iraqi troops rip scores of babies out of incubators <sighs> and left them to die on the cold mm. floor. That sounds familiar in the news when I was younger. She was crying. She described the incident as horrifying. It was all over the U.S. media. Her testimony was on video. You can see it on YouTube today. She's like, they're animals. They were ripping babies. And people are like, oh, fuck, we have to do something about these guys. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, So this is in October of 1990, before the 91 invasion. Now, investigations later on by Amnesty International and others, Human Rights Watch and independent journalists, discovered that the story that she told was entirely right. made up. Oh, God. Jesus. Iraqi troops oh. had looted Kuwaiti hospitals, but sure. hadn't been leaving babies to die on the floor. Completely made up, their, their treatment of the people. In 1992, New York Times article revealed that Nayira... Was mm-hmm. in fact the daughter of Saud Nazir Al Sabah, Kuwait's ambassador to the U.S. Oh my God! A wannabe actress, which nobody in the media had covered um, in 1990, had mentioned. Her <laughs> right. testimony had been organised by a group called Citizens for a Free Kuwait, which was a front for the Kuwaiti government. Right now. Citizens for a Free Kuwait had hired PR firm Hill and Knowlton that had previously worked for the tobacco industry. Um, The company was paid $10.7 million to devise a campaign to win American support for the war. We're in the wrong fucking business. Hey, I am in the marketing business, but I don't. <laughs> somehow I don't get these contracts. I'd take the money. Yeah, I'd take the money. I got no ethics either, but with- still. I'll, I'll come up with whatever you want me to come Barry up with. and yeah. Stan Inc. <laughs> now, gets better. Gets better. Gets uh, better. Right. The president and COO of Hill and Knowlton at the mm-hmm. time was a guy called Craig Fuller. He mm-hmm. had been George Bush's chief of staff when Bush oh. was vice president. Right. So They're just helping each other out. Chief yeah. of staff. Runs the PR firm that uh, apparently spent spent a million dollars on focus groups to determine how to get the American public behind the war. They just they decided that focusing on atrocities was the most effective because if you know if you said to the Americans, well, you know these guys have got some oil and these guys are taking their oil and they're driving the prices down and no no one gives a fuck, right? But when it's babies being thrown out of the windows of hospitals, right? Then Americans will get involved so but it was <sighs> bush's former chief of staff that ran the firm that fabricated the story that can that gave bush as president justification to invade iraq i'm sure that's just a coincidence bush a by the way who comes out of the oil business and whose major uh <laughs> campaign contributor was the guy who ran vanderbilt oil whose son tried to kill reagan oh, in order no. to make bush president we got to make a movie. Fuck. We got to make a movie. And again, if you don't believe me, look this shit up. I will yeah. put notes in our show notes. Go to thebullshitfilter.com. Look it up. 
I'll put all the links in there. <laughs> you can read this stuff. Oh, my None God. of this. Okay, except for the, uh, what did I say before? <laughs> except for, uh, oh, the, 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 the Hinkley getting released from his mother's house right. <laughs> two weeks ago and taking out a, and killing Bush. Apart from that, <laughs> right. everything else I'm telling you is 100% legit and fact-checked. I you know swear you're still pissing to God. people off, right? You know you're still... Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Now... Okay. Doesn't end there. Yeah. So, okay. God. Um, the first Gulf War, as, I'm, as I said, was was sold on a mountain of war propaganda. It really was a, a an Orwellian campaign to convince Americans that their ally Saddam Hussein, who had aided them in their war with Iran as late as right. 1988, had become an irrational monster in 1990 that they needed to bomb the shit out of. Wow. So the U.S. dropped 88,500 tons of bombs on Iraq and Iraqi-occupied Kuwait. Right. Uh, and it only hit equipment. It didn't hit any civilians. No, it hit lots of civilians. Oh, um, okay. In February 1991, there was a U.S. airstrike on an air raid shelter in a neighborhood of Baghdad, Amaria neighborhood, uh, killed at least 408 Iraqi civilians. They also, mm-hmm. the U.S. also destroyed Iraqi civilian infrastructure, things right. that generate electricity or, or the you know water treatment facilities, food processing plants, flour mills, um, warehouses with medication in it. And, and this, these aren't accidents. This is all part of the strategy. You know, it was deliberate. Right. Um, Washington Post ran a story in June of 1991. Some targets, especially late in the war, were bombed primarily to create post-war leverage over Iraq, not to influence mm-hmm. the course of the conflict itself. Ah, okay. So the plan was to destroy Iraq's infrastructure, not its military infrastructure, but its civilian economic infrastructure in right. to such an extent that they couldn't repair it without foreign assistance after the war. Fuck. So they so more jobs. Yeah. Yeah. So they'd need to do deals um, right. with, yeah, with, with, you know, uh, American contractors to come and fix it. And then you had the whole oil for food program they were able to get right. cheap oil. Iraq needed to sell its oil cheaply. Basically, this was the U.S. taking over Iraq's oil, leaving Saddam in. Now, one thing I have heard in a lot of the coverage about Bush mm-hmm. in the last couple of days is, oh, like how wise he was to leave Saddam in power because he knew right. removing him would create this power gap, and uh, right. he was so That's so so benign yeah. and so smart. No, well, it was deliberate. You know, they wanted Iraq to be running well because they wanted the oil. Uh, mm-hmm. They just needed to cripple Iraq, let Saddam right. continue to run it, but just cripple it. Yeah. Um, so they could take control of it. And you know, it's a bit like when the Japanese invaded Indochina in World War Two. They left the French running it for a while. So they right. look, you do the dirty work of the administration. <laughs> Day to day. We yeah. just want to own it. We don't right. want to. We don't want to run the shop. We just want to no. take over the shop. 
mafia style. You keep running it, but it's now belongs to us. New management. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And eventually, like the Japanese in Indochina, they went, okay, well, you know, you've run out of your usefulness. Now we're going to kick out the management as well and we're going to take over, which is what happened under Bush's son 15 years later or whatever it was. Yeah. So I'm sorry. So Bush lies. He's later caught. Um, There's no justification for going in uh, because there's no. Um, Iraqi troops on the border with uh, Saudi Arabia. Obviously, the other people that make these bombs and make equipment make a ton of money. And then after the war, there's going to be American contracts and they're going to be able to pay in oil because they have oil. This is just a money-making entity, a money-making plan that just goes on during and after the war. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. <sighs> Yeah. So, not finished. So, no, he, I'm sure he, not. he lied about getting into the war. Um, right. Then, you know, deliberately destroyed civilian infrastructure to get leverage by their own admission over Saddam Hussein. How is this not terrorism? That's exactly what the definition of terrorism is indiscriminate killing and destruction right. in order to get leverage over a social political system. So this is an act of terrorism committed by George H.W. Bush. Really no no doubt about it. Um, by January 1992, um, the U.S. Census Bureau had estimated that the Gulf War had caused the deaths of 158,000 Iraqis, including mm-hmm. 13,000 immediate civilian deaths and 70,000 right. more civilian deaths as a result of the damage done to electricity and sewage treatment plants. Damn. That's U.S. Census Bureau numbers. Why the U.S. is doing right. a census of Iraq, I don't know, but <laughs> there you go. Um, so that's 83,000 civilian deaths. Right. As a result of a war that he lied about uh, on, on many fronts. Damn. Then, then... Oh, there yeah. was the highway of death when the United Nations got Iraq to agree to leave Kuwait. Mm-hmm. They, they surrendered as they were leaving the country. The, the troops were leaving the country right. on H- highway 80. Um, the U S bombed them again while they were retreating. Oh fuck. That's right. I totally forgot about that. It's known as the highway of death. Um, <sighs> The U.S. deliberately bombed them while they were retreating. Now, this is against the Geneva Convention. You're not allowed to bomb or kill prisoners of war or people that aren't, troops that aren't actively engaged in um, life-threatening wartime behavior. Yeah, Yeah. right. Um, They had surrendered. They were leaving peacefully. Norman Schwarzkopf gave the order um, with right. the, the approval of Bush to bomb the fuck out of him. Now, Norman Schwarzkopf said later that, uh, well, they were a bunch of rapists and murderers and thugs and right. there was military equipment and I wanted it all wiped out. In fact, there were some journalists who turned up uh, very quickly afterwards and there are photographs and video out there. You can see this for yourself. Lots of civilians' cars and buses and trucks 
um, bombed the shit out of. The estimate estimate is that there was something like 10,000 civilians that were leaving Iraq as well that had been caught there, Palestinians, Egyptians, etc., that uh, were forced to leave Kuwait. They were on the same highway. They got caught up and had the crap bombed out of them as well. The highway of death. Jeez. And then you've got Bush's racist war on drugs, which we've started to talk about on our war on drugs <laughs> series on the bullshit filter. Right. Um, he, you know, carried on in the tradition of, of Reagan and Nixon yeah. with this uh, racist war on drugs as a way of going after the African-American population who probably weren't going to vote Republican. Yeah. Um, millions of Americans incarcerated, hundreds of billions of dollars wasted, hundreds of thousands of human beings allowed to die of AIDS, mm-hmm. all in the name of a fake war on drugs that everybody right. who bothered to read the reports knew was bullshit. The drugs weren't bad for people, particularly the marijuana. Um, it should have been treated, according to medical authorities, as a... Medical right. issue, a health issue, not a, not a criminal issue. He ignored all of that. of that. Millions yeah. of Americans died. You want to talk about the AIDS stuff some more? Um, I I don't know. We can um, fucking hour and a half. Um, let's see here. That's yeah, cool. no, I I just I just I'll sum it up real quick. Just to say that uh, I knew you were going to do a comprehensive uh, job like you always do. Uh, but I was I was watching one particular thing and and it kept going on and on about. Bush signing up for the military as soon as he got out of high school. I think he was like the youngest pilot or whatever. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, okay, so Bush is a pilot. I, excuse me, Bush is a patriot. I get that. He probably loves his country. And the and the piece went on and on and on about his family, about his mom and dad. They used to read the Bible to him and they would talk about it. And, and they helped out at church every Sunday. And I get all that stuff. And I'm so I'm sitting there thinking, this guy's a patriot. This guy loves his country. This guy's religious. Uh, he believes in God. But does that mean that everything he's going to do for the rest of his life is going to be good? Is he always going to make the right choices? And, the, and of course, the answer is no. No one is perfect. No one always makes the right choices, but you wouldn't know that based on any of the um, news reports that you've seen now that he's died. And again, I guess, I don't know if that's just America, but we just, we have, we have, um, marbleized or, or we honor our politicians probably because it started off with George Washington, but, but we just, we just assume that they did the best they could. They meant to do the best they could. And so we're really nice to them after they die and we put the, together these puff pieces. But anyway, so, I just wanted to to go over just real quick uh, his his approach when it comes to the AIDS ec- ep- epidemic. So he, Bush gives his first um, speech about AIDS in March of 1990. He's been uh, president for about 12 months or something like that. And this comes after his kinder, gentler speech when he receives the party's nomination to be president. So that's okay. But the point is, in the speech, he is backing a bill. Now, this bill isn't about throwing tons of money at the problem about uh, helping people about uh, doing research or whatever. It's pretty much a bill that says um, you can't mistreat someone. Once they, you find out they have HIV or they have AIDS, you can't fire them. You can't harass them or whatever. So it's a bill to legally protect them, which is nice. But again, he's not really doing anything about AIDS. In fact, he had a previous bill that he was called on. Um, he, he was, he was called out on this about cutting all the money that went to research research. And uh, they also were giving him a hard time that saying the vast majority of any money 
especially when it comes to the war on drugs, like you were mentioning a second ago, the vast majority of it, 70% was going towards the law enforcement. It wasn't going to care. It wasn't going to treatment. It wasn't going to prevention. It's going to punishing these people who are addicts and through um, dirty needles or contaminated needles during the war on drugs, instead of putting out a whole bunch of clean needles to help these people, they are coming down on them. And so they're ignoring that. So a lot of people who are addicted are now getting AIDS because of all these dirty needles because they can't get them from anywhere else. And, and he, uh, he fell down on that. Um, and then there's the Ryan White uh, Comprehensive AIDS Resources Emergency Care Act that he signed in August of 1990, uh, which is supposed to help um, people uh, low income, uninsured, to be able to be able to help victims of AIDS and their family, that kind of stuff. But the thing, even that is, uh, the representative from California, Henry Waxman, uh, his name, a lot of you probably heard about them. Him, he has been working on this since 1982, trying to get something, because he first heard about Reagan's um, policies about cutting. Um, having mass, uh, massive cuts for na na national health policies. So Waxman automatically figures out just right away, he's like, if Reagan pushes these cuts through, there's going to be a huge increase in disease and all that kind of stuff. It's just that age just happened to come at the same time. So this guy's pushing this from anywhere to like five to eight years. He finally gets Ted Kennedy on his side who gives it more clout. They push it through. Bush eventually signs it, but only because it had passed the Senate. It was going through the House like flying colors. It was very popular, so he had to sign it. But the point is, Bush, like Reagan, uh, was pretty much taken over by the evangelicals. They pretty much told him what to do, what to think, how to, how to view his life and how to view politics. And he joined their culture war. There was a lot of uh, anti-gay attacks um, by Bush and his cabinet, certainly on the National Endowment for the Arts, uh, certainly uh, waiting a very long time to put any money towards the treatment or an intense research of AIDS, of HIV. Um, he never really... He spoke about compassion for these people one time, but then in 1992, when Pat Buchanan runs against him and runs far, far to the right, Bush goes even further right to outdo Buchanan, uh, Buchanan because Buchanan actually did very well in the primaries. And Bush pretty much uh, almost ends his um, his presidency by talking about this culture war that there's a that there's a dangerous religious war in this country and we're being attacked by the militant homosexual rights movement. So he starts off either a semi-decent person or whatever, but because he was following in Reagan's footsteps, and plus along the, the evangelicals were able to pretty much um, take over uh, his his presidency. He goes far to the right. He, there's no compassion, even though he talks about it. There's no money backing up any of these for these suffering people. And I think by the time he is out of office, there's like at least 100,000 people dead, 150,000 people that have, have, have gotten HIV. And he, like Reagan, just did not do enough fast enough, made excuses, said they needed to have a, uh, a lifestyle change. And again, he just never really met the challenge. He could have been a great president. He could have went down on the history books um, for being this very compassionate person that he supposedly was, but he's going to be tied to Reagan. But now that, you, now that he's dead... And you watch all these strips, these films, these YouTube things on him. This guy was an angel. He, he hugged his wife and his children all the time. He loved them all. And all that stuff, like you said, er, said earlier, just gets whitewashed. And none of the bad stuff that you mentioned 
is ever going to be mentioned about him. And if you don't really dig for it, you will never know half of what this guy did throughout his political career. Not to mention the fact that he, you know, helped George W. Bush become president and all of the fucking bodies on his watch um, around the world and supported him all the way through. You know, and I I think I think some of the 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 um, (laughs) I think one of the reasons he's getting a a soft landing in the media at the moment and with people like J. David Markham. (laughs) Yeah, I saw some of that. I got stuck in it with Markham on Facebook. Um, Is because in in his latter years, Bush spoke out against Trump and all of these Trump haters are like, yay, he's our hero now because he spoke out about Trump. Look, a couple of things. Number one, he played a big role in turning the GOP into the fucking clusterfuck that it is now. That's true. That led to Trump. Secondly, the main reason he doesn't like Trump is because Trump defeated Jeb. Jeb right. was supposed it's to be... Personal. It was Jeb's yeah. time. They don't yeah. hate Trump because Trump's any different from they are. They're just as... In fact, they're fucking worse than Trump, these guys. These guys... Trump doesn't have hundreds of thousands of civilian bodies on his fucking watch yet. I mean, he's, he's got some. Don't get me yeah. wrong. He's been droning. He's been droning, yeah. droning plays. Well, yeah, you in domestic as well, but I'm talking about more international. Right. He wants to right. invade Venezuela. Um, he's probably going to invade somewhere at some point. He's he's done some bombing in Syria, um, but nowhere near the the body count that Bush one or Bush right. two had. So fuck off with this soft landing with these guys. Anyway, let's wrap it up with some quotes from George Herbert Walker Bush. <clears throat> okay. We love your adherence to democratic principles and to the democratic process. Aww. He said during a toast to Ferdinand Marcos <laughs> in 1981. For the kids out there, Ferdinand Marcos was the dictator of the Philippines for 21 years. Oh. Infamous for his corruption, his brutality. It's estimated it that he yeah. and his wife stole between five to ten billion dollars right. out of the Filipino economy. But um, he wasn't mm. a communist, so it's okay. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And where did he? Uh, where did he go into exile when the heat got turned oh. up in the Philippines? Shit. I can't. Mm. It's gone. Hawaii. Yeah. Hawaii, United States. It's really nice there when you got five billion. You know, it's really nice anywhere when you have five billion dollars. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, he uh, went into a nice, cozy retirement um, oh. in the United States after yeah. he got run out of Dodge. He he died a couple of years later, but of you know heart, yeah. lung ailments. But there you go. Um, so yeah, Bush loved him, loved himself a good dictator. Uh, let me see what else I got here in terms of quotes. Um, yeah. I will never apologize for the United States of America, ever. I don't care what the facts are. Fuck. Balls out. Now, this is when he was vice president uh, during a campaign function um, for his for the presidential campaign. Right. Um, it was in reference to the Navy warship, the USS Vincennes, having shot down an Iranian civilian aircraft, Flight 655. Mm. Uh, right. Um, Americans shot down an Iranian civilian plane. 
And he said, I will never apologize. I don't care what the facts are. God damn. So this is your uh, Christian, right. touchy, lovey, yes. warmy uh, president, former president. And the last quote of Bush's I wanted yep. to end with, I don't know that atheists should be considered as citizens, nor should they be considered patriots. That's probably my favorite. Yeah. If you don't believe in the same God I believe in, the way I believe it, I don't even know if you belong in this country. I, I just want... I just want to say real quick, because I know we're going to get mail on this, but what the fuck? I mean, this guy was a patriot. He loved his country. He loved his family. He believed in God. And yet he still did all those things. Did he think he was justified in doing them? Probably. Most people do. But he still did them. Just don't pretend that he didn't. And we'll be okay. Yeah. I mean, so my takeaway from all of this, again, is the media is lying to you. They're not willing to, I mean, you can justify it all you want about, well, you know, he just died, so let's be sensitive. No, he was a president. Presidents don't get, he wasn't a fucking human rights worker in the slums of Calcutta. He was the leader of a world superpower who deliberately and directly, over the course of his career, caused the deaths of hundreds of thousands of civilians and the incarceration of millions of Americans and the deaths of hundreds of thousands of Americans from AIDS. This guy was not a saint. Don't make it out that he was. Tell the truth. If he did some good things, that's fine. Throw them in there as well. I'm okay with that. But why does the media have to sanctify these guys when they die? It drives me fucking nuts. Are they going to make us saints when we die? I got my answer. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs>